Colter Nuanas from ESPN Montana here at the M Store. Proud to present our Nuanas Now podcast each and every day, available on all of your various podcast hosting platforms. One of their awesome partners, a guy that really is uh, helping spread the word about the M Store, is Grizz All American Junior Bergen. What's up, man? Thanks for coming in. Yes, thank you for having me. First of all, you got a cool t shirt. What's it like being on a t shirt? You're a kid from Billings, Montana, so that, yeah. might, that must be kind of surreal knowing there's a t shirt of you at the M Store. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I went to a couple basketball games back home. And uh, I saw some kids running around with I their love shirt it. on. And it was really surreal. It was a cool moment, cool experience for sure. Uh, that's so cool. You guys do such a good job of embracing how much the community loves you. But when people are looking up to you like they do, I mean, they think, I mean, you're the man right now. for <laughs> <laughs> the University of Montana. What's yeah. that like being a Montana kid? Um, it's different for sure. Um, you know, growing up, you kind of look up to guys like who are in the NFL totally. and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's just great to have a, a positive influence on these kids' lives. Um, you know, I just wanted to make sure... Uh, I set the example and lead by example and give them someone to look up to. Go check out the M Store. They're located there at the corner of Higgins and Broadway here in the city of Missoula. And you can also visit anytime online, MontanaMStore.com. They have all the latest and greatest, a whole bunch of original Grizz gear. And, of course, they have Junior Bergen T-shirts. Junior Bergen, proud partner with the M Store, as well as us here at uh, ESPN Montana. Thanks for swinging by, man. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. The M Store, where they're all Grizz all the time. What are your business challenges for 2021? Supporting an increased remote workforce? Securing and managing your expanding corporate network? Communicating with your customers, employees, and partners? Whatever your challenges and priorities for 2021, Blackfoot Communications knows it all starts with a plan. We are here to help you assess, design, implement, and support your most critical technology infrastructure initiatives. Call Blackfoot at 866-541-5000 or email business at blackfoot.com to learn how we can set you up for success in 2021 and beyond. Blackfoot. Connect to more. It's 4 o'clock. Welcome to Tutel and Nuanes, Montana's only statewide sports talk show. Broadcast on 102.9 ESPN Radio for Western Montana and across the state on SWX Television. I like football! Now, sports talk from Montana for Montana. Live from the Kurtz Polaris studio, here is Ryan Tutel and Coulter Nuanes. Hello, Montana. Bobby Houck, head coach of the Montana Grizzlies, on the show, along with Mike Dugar, Mike Boucher, Dane Oliver, and the chick who doesn't know sports, a jam-packed Friday. Hi, how are you? Outstanding to be with you on this Friday afternoon, headed in towards evening on this very fine across the state high school playoff football weekend which we will talk about thrilled to be with you thanks for letting us ride along with you downhill into your weekend we appreciate that very much if you would like to be a part of the show we would be thrilled to have you 1029 espn.com you go on there you listen to those you listen to the show when it's live on the stream and the station all the rest of the time live as well the stream is available all the time thanks to opportunity bank of montana opportunity bank your local bank your opportunity if you'd like to call or text here's the number same number for both things 361-3688 area code 406-361-3688 all guests join us via the Rankish Brothers RV phone line. You can call or text that line anytime you would like. We'll be happy to interact with you there on the phone line as well. In the show today, absolutely loaded. Bobby Houck, the head coach of the Montana Grizzlies. We'll get him right off the top of the show today talking about all things that was fall ball headed into winter, where he thinks Montana stands uh, as it pertains to spring, a spring season and football in general. And obviously the transfer, the grad transfer uh, announcement of Samari Toure from yesterday. So we cover all those topics with Coach Houck. We'll get that right off the top in about a half an hour as we do every Friday, our 12th for the 12s, get you set for the Seattle Seahawks and the Los Angeles Rams, an NFC West divisional matchup Sunday. You'll have that game right here on ESPN Radio. Mike Dugar will get us set for that. Obviously, the Seahawks coming off a, a, a loss, their worst loss of the season to the Buffalo Bills. They're still 6-2. and two. They're still fine on top of the division. But what did he see from last week going into this week against a pretty good Rams team? Our continuing series of Grizz greats, the 1995 Silver Anniversary 
of the 1995 National Champions. Mike Boucher, an inside linebacker on that team, the leading tackler on that team. Many people will not remember that Mike Boucher was, in fact, the leading tackler for that National Championship team in 1995. And a Hellgate kid, a Missoula kid, I mean, as integrated into this community as he could be. He uh, left and went away for school after he graduated from Montana, went to NYU, went to law school and this, that. And the third came back, lives here now, and a great conversation that we had with him. We'll bring you a portion of that today. We also, top of the hour, will continue our Garden City Spotlight, this time with Dane Oliver, the Sentinel Spartans, hosting Billings Senior tonight in the Class AA semifinals. Fantastic matchup tonight in Missoula at Missoula County Stadium. So we'll talk to Coach Oliver about that and get you set with some other games uh, around the state as well as it is playoff time, and not just playoff time. In some cases, it's state championship weekend. other cases, state semi. So big time. It's all coming down to uh, this uh, two-week stretch in the month of November. And, of course, it's Friday. What would Friday be without the chick who doesn't know sports? We'll bring her in and get you set for the weekend on ESPN Radio. So there you go, a jam-packed show uh, for you today. Coulter, as we do every Friday right off the top, cheers, my friend. It is time for our Florence Coffee Company coffee break, an iced Americano for Coulter. And you know what I did today? It's uh, something a little different. Feeling this right here. It's cold out, man, for November right here, middle of November. straight cold. Is it? Yeah. Is it like in the 30s? No. 20s? Might be 20s. That's not that cold. For November? For, no, for, 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 for a said, high in November? We have, yeah. we have no frame of reference right now because we don't have football. Is it that cold considering next weekend's Cat Grizz? Yeah, it is. It's cold. <laughs> I just don't think so. Well, you, you're, you're tough. Uh, <laughs> I don't know about tough. I went and got myself a London Fog Ooh. at the Florence Coffee Company. Ooh. If you haven't gotten in on a London Fog, do yourself a dang favor. Get yourself some black tea, so you got a little caffeine. Got to have a little boost going into the weekend, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then you know black tea is it's it's good, mm-hmm. but you sweeten that thing up just a little bit with a little bit of vanilla flavoring, and then throw some milk in there, and you know that's the, hence the fog part of it. Now a lot of people, you know, I don't know if us in America we don't drink a ton of tea. Uh, uh, the way that they do in a lot of the rest of the world. Most of the rest of the world is drinking tea with cream or with milk. Mm-hmm. Throw some milk in your tea, a little bit of sweetener, and my friend, you have yourself a darn good Friday on your hands. Go to a Florence Coffee Company kiosk right now. They are very close to wherever you are. You're listening in Western Montana. There's kiosks everywhere, down the Bearded Root, up the Flathead, Butte area, uh, uh, all the way around, and of course, you know, just uh, everywhere in Missoula. So wherever you are, whatever you're up to, hey, you're going to have a great weekend, big football weekend here. Stop by a Florence Coffee Company. Get yourself a London Fog and try one of these things out. It's going to make your day go great. Uh, Coulter, we had a chance to talk with Bobby Houck earlier today. We're going to play that interview for the people right now. But we it was a very interesting sort of turn of events. We've been, uh, you know, efforting Coach Houck here for the last couple of days. Wanted to get his thoughts on sort of fall ball and the 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 this run that culminated in a a, a scrimmage this past weekend and just kind of hear an update of, of where we're at with Grizz football and uh he agreed to come on with us today which was great this was set up a couple days ago and then yesterday of course we have the announcement that Samari Toure is leaving the program so you go okay well what's this going to be like obviously that's not good news for the University of Montana uh and and sometimes uh, when players leave the program under various circumstances, you know, you go, okay, well, we're not going to talk about this guy. He's not in the program anymore, that kind of thing. So I was interested to hear what Coach Houck would have to say about this, if anything. I was impressed with what he had to say about Samari Toure, certainly. I think he, he, he did right, and we'll, we'll talk more about this after the fact. But a pretty interesting sort of, uh, uh, I mean, the most significant football news, other than we're not playing football, of this fall season happened yesterday. It just so happens we're talking with Coach Houck this morning about that very thing. I've been thinking about the Grizz football roster because uh, this time of year, this is, it's like everything is in delay, right? Yeah. We're in the mindset of this being like spring, even though the weather is not spring like. That's where we're at in like the football development calendar. And think about both the roster for both the Montana schools. And I, I think that um, being able to evaluate your own roster, identify the weaknesses, address those weaknesses. In detail, it seems like that's such a simple thing, and it's just not. Mm. A lot of times you can't just bring in all of the pieces that you need to get better at all the places you think you can get better at. But oftentimes I do think that coaches, 
have a hard time with self-scouts, a hard time acknowledging, hey, you know, this guy's pretty good, but we could be better here. Bobby Houck is not uh, afraid of that. He he does know exactly where each and every person and player on the two deep matches up with where they're at, where they could be, where they've been before in the past, both within this program and also how they stack up at the Big Sky Conference level. And I think yeah. that the things that this Montana team has been missing, I think they've been missing depth at running back. I think they addressed that in the offseason. I think they have been uh, missing big play. De- depth at corner, De- right? They, I mean, the secondary is absolutely uh, the, the number one factor. They, yeah. they needed to get both individual talent that's better at corner and more guys that can play corner. They basically only played three corners last year, and I thought all three of them were solid, but none elite, not even close to elite. And we don't know if they have improved because we haven't seen anybody play yet, but they certainly have gone out and tried to with, no with Omar Hicks, Anu, and Trajan Cotton. I mean, I think it's, it's it's one of the spots that's the easiest to upgrade, and that seems funny to say because that's one of the spots that's the hardest position to recruit elite players at. But for what Montana had... I think that those guys deserve a ton of credit the last couple of years. You know, Darian Nash and Justin Calhoun play as converted wide receivers. But just going and getting guys that have played the position at, at the collegiate level is already going to make them on par with what they already had. And if they're more talented, they're, they're already better. Yeah. But I thought they needed more depth at linebacker. I thought they needed a, a better guy off the edge. And they've basically gotten all of those elements taken care of. They needed a, a center. I think they found one in A.J. Forbes. So they basically have pieced together all of the places that they had deficiencies. And so then I think that's where then this comes down to one thing, the quarterback position. Mm. And I think that they have multiple guys that are battling that out for that spot with Cam Humphrey, the senior, being a front runner. But uh, I think it's it's easier said than done. I thought Bobby Halkin and his staff did a great job doing that, and he addressed a lot of those uh, pieces of progress, particularly when it comes to the transfers that so many people have not seen in this interview. Well, here you go. Our conversation from this morning with the head coach of the University of Montana Grizzly football team, Bobby Howe. We go now to the Rangich Brothers RV phone line, and we're happy to welcome in the head coach of the University of Montana Grizzly football team, Bobby Howe. Coach, thank you so much for being with us. We appreciate it as always. And I'm interested, you just finished up fall ball here this past weekend with a scrimmage. What sort of progress did you feel like you made over the course of the last month and what was essentially a second spring season happening in the fall this year? Well, I thought we got good work done, guys. I, anytime you get a chance to go out and play and train and work at it, you have a chance to improve as a team and and the individuals collectively in the team. And I, I thought we had good work. The uh, it's such a, a weird fall and a unique circumstance that uh, I like giving our guys a lot of credit for coming to work every day and trying to improve when there's really you know, a lot of angst about not playing for the most part. I know when we talked in the spring and into the summer too, I mean, there was so much uncertainty. These guys weren't hanging out like they are used to doing, not training like they used to training. But just to get together, I mean, do you think that was revitalizing for your guys? And did you see them just have a, a more positive attitude, just being able to be around each other and play football? Yeah, I think totally. We we actually had a pretty good summer in terms of training. And, and so – you know, our, our team was ready to go and they're, they're pretty disappointed that we didn't have a fall season. And, you know, if you hindsight a little bit, it's probably too bad that we didn't, but that's not where we are. So, um, they thrive when they've got the structure and we, we, we get good work in this fall. And I think they really enjoyed it. I think like a lot of things in life, when you have something taken away from you, you find out how much you value it. I think they really enjoyed being back out on the field. You know, one thing that, that you and your program is always, uh, you know, pretty legendary for is the winter condo, right? But now you sit here, and as of now, you got a February 27th date in Flagstaff. How do you go about winter conditioning, if at all, and how, how do you view that playing out this season? Well, we're going to have to figure out the whole winter season, you know? Right. Um, the, the key for us is, you know, we're in order to play in, in this winter spring season, we're going to have to do with our guys what we do in August, right? To get ready for the first game. So we have to determine how, how much work we can get done to safely put our guys out there. You know, is it safe to go out and play? You know, you, you, you guys live here, you know, it, it can be pretty treacherous in terms of the preparation. So 
we're going to have to, you know, get in a certain amount of work in order to safely put our guys on the field to compete. And I'm not sure when that first game can be. Coach, I'm interested to know, how do you assess that? Like, how do you go about as a t- at a team-wide level deciding that, yeah, we've gotten in enough good work to be, you know, as healthy and safe as we can be and prepared as we can be to actually go out and start playing football? Yeah, you know, I don't think it's too hard to assess. I mean, we, we know exactly how many practices and how many meetings and how many hours that we put in you know, from August 1 to September 1 before our first game. And we, it's pretty it's pretty prescribed. So we we basically have to get in that work um, to have our guys ready to go to compete in a Division One college football game. So um, a lot of it's going to be dictated by our ability to – we don't have an indoor, so our ability to get out and do the work um, – some of it may be dictated by the weather and some of it may be dictated by later in the year we were able to get a little more work done and get ourselves ready to go. That indoor practice facility element, I mean, I know Weber State has one. Obviously, there's three teams in the league that play in domes. This At this exact moment, how big of an advantage is it to have an indoor? Well, I, I think it's tremendous. I mean, it, it's, uh, uh, it's the difference between night and day in terms of preparation for those those early games, I would say. So, you know, what I've been kind of getting around is we've, we've got to have our guys ready before before we'll want to put them in a situation where they're playing a game. Bobby Houck, the head coach of the University of Montana Grizzly football team, joining us. Coach, I, I know that there's so much uncertainty of when you're going to play next, and none of us know the answers to any of that. So let's just talk about your team for a little bit. I mean, I know you said you liked the work you got done. You guys, the recruiting model this last year, just because it's been such a weird year in recruiting, you guys brought in quite a few transfers. How did those guys acclimate to the program? Did any of them particularly stand out? And how much do you think those guys have a chance to contribute in, the, in the, I guess, the next time you play football? Yeah, I, I think those guys have done a good job, really kind of assimilated in. They're, they're, <clears throat> they're good guys, and they, they fit well with our team, uh, which I think is probably a, a critical issue when you're bringing in guys that are transfers rather than, than high school kids. Uh, Justin Belknap, the, the kid from Vegas, from Arizona, uh, he really fit in. He really fit in well. He's doing a good job. Um, both quarterbacks have done a, a nice job and made some plays and really made some good progress. Um, A.J. Forbes, the, the uh, center, uh, really made his mark, so I, uh, I feel good about those guys. Um, our, our two uh, corners from Oregon State, Trajan Cotton and Omar Hexano, um, really have done a good job as well. So I think those guys are those guys are fitting in, and and uh, they're going to help us. And on the other side of the transfer, the big news yesterday: Smart Torre into the uh, transfer portal. I know you had a gigantic year for you guys last year. But with all this uncertainty, I don't think this will be the first or the last of, the, of these sorts of situations just because I guess these guys just don't really know when they're going to play next. And he was already back for his senior year. Now he's going to explore playing somewhere next fall. What, what was the conversations like with Samari? And, and, I mean, what does that do for you guys going forward? Well, like 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 we talked offline, you know, he, Samari's a great guy. And he, he did everything we asked of him. He was here, he was here to play his all of his senior year and you know it wasn't his fault that we didn't play um he got his degree and and now he's on to what's next and and i hope it works out for him um but as i said he was he was here this fall to play his senior year and then hopefully get a chance to play at the next level and um that's kind of what he's looking towards is is to find a an avenue to do that and um we just we just hope it goes well for him you know, Coach, one thing that 
you have done so well over the years is is develop guys and now with this zero year here and what looked to be a, a, especially a great young f- defensive front especially how excited are you about the prospect of guys who are getting sort of a year of football here but it doesn't count against them and what they could potentially turn into down the line with with all, all this extra time that they may be getting with you if they do end up following it through all the way to the end yeah, it, it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see how all this plays out over uh, the span of some of these guys' college careers. But the young guys really kind of hit the jackpot in terms of another year of training, uh, another year to improve, another year to develop. And I just uh, you know we feel strongly about about uh, training hard and and bringing guys along, developing them within the program and I, I think that this could really behoove some of our young front guys on both sides of the ball to have great career. Speaking of young guys that seem to be developing really well, on the note of the wide receivers group, I mean we said on the show yesterday, hey Samari Torrey, great player uh, but you guys are stacked at the spot. I feel like you'll be able to replace him pretty easily. But I know the guy that you guys have really liked internally for a while now is Keelan White. And I know in, in Eric Tabor's uh, press release about the scrimmage, he said he earned a scholarship in the offseason. And I know he kind of touched down on that in that scrimmage. So what have you seen from him? And what do you like about guys like him that are sort of uh, doing what a lot of guys in your program have done before, walking on and then and earning their way and earning a scholarship? Yeah, the wide receiver group's deep and, and – um fairly gifted. <clears throat> they, uh, Keelan's done a really nice job. Um, you know, everybody loves to, coaches in particular, but everybody loves to see a, a walk-on kid come in and, and earn his way into the depth and then then earn some aid. So um, happy for him, happy for our team that he kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, he was out of the north of the border. He's a Canadian kid and walked on and he's really made his way and He's opened a lot of eyes early on in his career. Yeah, another guy that had sort of a similar situation, a guy that we followed pretty heavily because we have so many great fans and listeners in, in the town of Anaconda. It's such a great sports town. And I know I helped Blake Hempstead and, and uh, Jackson Wagner do a little story on him when he earned a scholarship. So Braxton Hill, a guy that was a great athlete in high school, multi-sport guy, gets hurt in high school, but then you end up gray-shirting him. But it seems like he's really made a splash, both on special teams, getting some reps at linebacker. I know he earned a scholarship in the offseason, too. It seems like he's a guy that he reminds me of a lot of guys that have played for you in the past. What do you like about his progression? How is he able to earn himself a scholarship, too? Well, you know, he's a, he's a great high school basketball player as well. And that athleticism showing up on the football field. And... Braxton's kind of late coming to the to the football thing a little bit. You know, he's a multi-sport athlete in high school that was just kind of a big athletic kid, and and his uh, skill development, his physicalness, his weight room uh, development has really gone through the roof right now. And the more he learns about the game of football. And the more he plays it, the the better off he's going to be. And you know he's got good, he's got really good work ethic. He's a tough kid. Obviously, he's from Anaconda. I don't think there that's allowed to not be tough. And right. uh, <laughs> you know he, he's just one of those guys that I, I think the sky's the limit for him as he uh, as he progresses. So I can't project exactly what he's going to become, but I I really think his future's bright. Of course, Coach, the biggest game all the time is the game with the neighbors, right? And it's such a funky year to have Montana State scheduled on, on your schedule in what is the middle of a spring season in, on March the 27th. When you saw that and where it was placed and that kind of thing, well, what was your opinion or what is your opinion of that if, if you have one? Well, we're, we're just excited to play, you know. Um, um, hopefully, we, as I as I. Um, alluded to a little bit earlier, hopefully we can get ourselves ready to go and have ourselves in position to, to be able to go play games um, in terms of preparation. But uh, And I know, I know and I've talked to Jeff uh, as well. He, he feels some of that angst about that. But uh, we'll, we'll be excited to play when we get a chance to play them. You know, it's interesting because obviously there is no bigger rivalry than Montana-Montana State, but also – 
these two schools are in a very uniquely uh, uh, united sort of situation of not having an indoor facility, being in cold weather, having this whole thing. So how much is there, you know, the, the two schools sort of rowing the boat together, so to speak, in all that's going on and trying to trying to make this work out the best for the whole state of Montana? Well, it's nice we can actually agree on something for once. So that was uh, good, you know. Um, we, we've talked about it. You know, the, the big deal for us is that is to is to find a way to make sure that we can get our guys ready to go and, and give them a chance to compete safely. And so I mean it's 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 important that we um, collaborate on that because we are in um, almost an identical situation. University of Montana head coach Bobby Houck joining us on the show. And, and coach, just a couple more things for you. One thing I've been asked around the community a lot, which is a really cool thing that you guys have done for so many years. I know it's been a direct part of your family's tradition with the University of Montana football program is the hallowed number 37. And I know Jesse Sims was a great representative of that number the last couple of years. And uh, I know that there hasn't been a transition of the number quite yet. So can we expect a transition of the 37 number anytime soon? Or what's the status of 37 with the Grizzlies? Yeah, I've been kind of leaving that up to some of the old guys that are that are former players, and uh, you know, with with everything going on with 2020 being such a circus, uh, that's kind of taken a bit of a backseat. So I don't really have an update for you. I probably had a probably had to figure that out at some point. <laughs> well. <laughs> It seems like time never ends at this point. So I guess you got all the time in the world, maybe no time at all. Well, Coach, last thing for you then. I know, again, the spring schedule is an uncertainty, but uh, if this was the normal year, if we were playing football right now, this would be the second to last week of the regular season. You guys would be playing against Northern Arizona, and the Bobcat game would be on the horizon. So, I mean, do you ever sit back and think, man, what a strange time. I mean, this should be the heart of a Big Sky Conference title chase right now for Montana. Yeah, I think about it pretty much every day. Um, you know, I, anytime you, you work at something and you feel good about the progress you've made, it's kind of disappointing when it gets taken away. And so we've had to manage that a little bit, both as individuals and then with the the team, because I, I felt real strongly about our, our team this year and our ability to win games. So, um, yeah, it's a little disappointing to not be in the – in the midst of that, and one of the reasons why we're talking about it is it's a lot of fun to be a part of. So hopefully we can get back to doing it real soon. Well, Coach, we appreciate the time very much. Best to you as we go into winter and then spring and then summer. I think those things still happen in that order, if I'm not mistaken. So at least we can hope the sun keeps to do what it does. But we appreciate you being with us once again. Yeah, guys, thanks for having me on. There you go, Bobby Howe head coach of the Montana Grizzlies. Our thanks to Coach Houck for uh, for coming on with us and spending some time. We appreciate that. And uh, and I thought a lot of good stuff, man. I thought I thought that he was forthcoming. And again, I thought uh, I thought he was very gracious in the way that he handled. Uh, you know, it's bad news. He's a Samari Torres, a great player, and the fact that he is is out and out to go play football, not merely out because he's graduated and he's pursuing you know his you know a degree like that, but sure. also it makes all the sense in the world that he would do that. And like Coach said, look, he he did what we asked him to do. He was here. He was ready to go. And now what? So and he graduated. You, you can't you can't begrudge a kid you know for 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 doing that by any stretch. And so I thought that was uh, handled well. Well, I mean, consider this. It hasn't even been nine months since the this whole thing started. That's right. It's nine months until next football season. Right? Mm-hmm. It's about ten months till next football season. Mm-hmm. That's an eternity. Mm-hmm. Who knows what happens with Samari Torre? For sure. He, you know, he maybe he goes and trains somewhere in Portland or something, and and decides to go to the NFL draft. Maybe there's a Senior Bowl this year, and he gets invited, or an All Star game, and he gets invited, right? Or not? Or maybe he does just work out all the way until the summer and can go as t- transfers to a, an FBS or a Power 5 or, or wherever it might be. Yeah, There's a lot of different things that could happen. But I thought you made a great point yesterday. When you earn your degree, you open up an opportunity for yourself in your life, period, no matter what. And so it's hard to begrudge anybody for taking advantage of that opportunity. Guys that graduate and then go take jobs in the real world, no one's going to kill them. Right. So if you're just saying, hey, you know, Smart Tory, why are you leaving Montana? Well, 
his number one career goal is to go to the NFL. <laughs> and he's doing what it takes. To, he's trying to do what it takes to get there. Yeah. So it's hard to slight the kid for doing it. It's Tutel Nuanas, 1029 ESPN Radio. We'll, of course, have uh, you know this, this interview up for you on the uh, on the podcast. So if you missed all, you know any part of it or want to listen to it again, share it, feel free to do so there. Uh, and uh, I thought, thought really good stuff from Coach Hawk. We'll take a break. On the other side, we get into the aforementioned NFL, specifically the Seattle Seahawks. 12 for the 12s with Mike Dugar of The Athletic next. What are your business challenges for 2021? Supporting an increased remote workforce? Securing and managing your expanding corporate network? Communicating with your customers, employees, and partners? Whatever your challenges and priorities for 2021, Blackfoot Communications knows it all starts with a plan. We are here to help you assess, design, implement, and support your most critical technology infrastructure initiatives. Call Blackfoot at 866-541-5000 or email business at blackfoot.com to learn how we can set you up for success in 2021 and beyond. Blackfoot, connect to more. Time to talk a little Seahawks. 12 for the 12s with Mike Dugar of The Athletic. It is 2TEL Nuanas, 102.9 ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television across the state. Great to be with all of you. We appreciate you being here. We're excited to be with you heading into a, a big weekend around the state and around the country and certainly regionally. One of the games in... Fair, honestly, a pretty otherwise not that compelling NFL schedule in a lot of ways is the uh, matchup for, well, not a top, but a, 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 an important matchup always inside the NFC West, Seattle and the Los Angeles Rams. We go to the Rangers Brothers RV phone line. Welcome in. Good friend Mike Dugar. He covers the Seahawks for The Athletic. You can follow him at Mike Dugar on Twitter. You can also go ahead and uh, check out his uh, podcast, the Seahawks Man to Man podcast. Get all the insight there. But Mike, appreciate you being with us. Let's just jump back quickly to the uh, 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 a week ago and the Seahawks losing to the Buffalo Bills. And Buffalo got on them early. Seattle able to score some points because they can score points in bunches, but they gave up even more than that. And uh, I don't know, man. It, is, it, it just continues to expose the thing that we've been talking about now for half a season and we thought might get better, but it's not clear that it is getting better, and that's the defense and especially the secondary, whether that's a result of lack of pass rush, I'm not sure. But you keep giving up points like this, and it, and, and, and it seems to me you don't have a shot to ultimately get where you want to be. What say you? Yeah, I think what's happening is people are starting to lose the benefit of the doubt on the Seahawks. So, I mean, that, that's Pete Carroll, who's like supposed to be the defensive specialist. He's losing the benefit of the doubt, right? And I say that because it was really hard to separate how much of a genius Pete Carroll was versus how good the Legion of Boom was from a talent perspective, right? It's the mm-hmm. idea that, like, was Pete a genius or could you have given the Legion of Boom to Mike Zimmer or Leslie Frazier or Dick LeBeau and they would have produced the same result because they had Earl Thomas. Well, right? if you gave it to Dick LeBeau, uh, I think it would probably go pretty good. You could give me to Dick LeBeau and we're going to make some plays. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, like there's, there's, that is like a fair question, but I mean, until we saw a bigger sample size, Pete deserved the benefit of the doubt for, for sure. selecting the players and you know maximizing them. But what we've seen in the last what three and a half years is that okay, without the talent, the numbers are steadily dropping to the point where now they have a historically bad you know defense that has zero uh, holdovers from the secondary at least. Still has Bobby and KJ, uh, the linebacking group, and so he's losing the benefit of the doubt. Ken Norton Jr., who had, he was a bad defensive coordinator in Oakland. Um, so, yeah, he gets a second chance here with Pete, um, you know, a guy he's more familiar with, a little bit more talent to work with. Well, now the defense is bad here too, right? So now he's had two stints where he's been bad at coaching defense. The benefit of the doubt becomes to, to uh, wither away. Uh, Andre Curtis, uh, the passing game coordinator, he, it's his job to, you know, make sure the secondary is right. Well, secondary is one of the worst in the league, right? So I don't know how good anyone thought he was, but he starts to lose the benefit of the doubt. As well, and when you get to a point where you know we get to, you've had multiple weeks with Quentin and Shaq and Jamal and Quandre, maybe the secondary they envisioned. If you're still bad at that point, um, well, we know those guys have talent. The problem then is just you guys, and I mean the guys in headsets. So we might we might be getting to like week 16 or 17, and you know there might be different guys wearing those headsets if this keeps up. Mike, thanks so much for joining us. We were talking about this uh, element yesterday. When you break down what the Seahawks' first eight games have been, there's some teams that I think that maybe 
you'd love to lure into a shootout. And then there's a couple other teams on the schedule that maybe you're hesitant to lure into a shootout. And to me, it seems like the two teams on the, uh, in this first nine games that are maybe uh, a little bit tenuous to lure into a sh- get into a shootout with are the Cardinals and then the opponent this week, the Rams. What is your assessment of that element of it? Because it seems as if the way Seattle is going to win is just to get into a track meet and outscore people. But will that come back to bite them, especially when they're playing a couple of the best teams at that style of football that both lie in their division? I mean, I think he's already been biting them. I mean, look at Buffalo's not like this offensive juggernaut, right? They put up a 40 ball, right? Like, you you, you know, like if that's the what Cardinals put up, what, 37? 37, yeah. And, and all of these teams are scoring solely on offense as well. And they're getting help from their defense. I think, uh, what, Russ's second pick brought them down to like the three-yard line or something like that. He fumbled um, within his own 25 twice against Buffalo. I mean, that's part of it, too. Like, Russ can't have these back-breaking turnovers. Like, all turnovers are bad, um, but, like, they're not all created equal in that, like, if you – let's say you do, like, a, an arm punt, right, so the safety catches it 50 yards from where you threw it. That's that's a little different than, like, the Trey White pick that went all the way back down to the three, right? That's that's terrible, and Russ can't do that at all. Um, but I will say they're not really equipped to get into much of a shootout with anyone. Right? That's dangerous. That was dangerous against the, the Patriots, whose offense stinks. That was dangerous against Dallas. Um, you know, it, they, it wasn't a shootout, but it was dangerous against the Kirk Cousins Vikings. Like, And you factor in Sean McVay. I crunched the numbers uh, this week, you know, for the Athletic. Sean McVay has Pete Carroll's number in a way that is absolutely, like, disgusting. It's, it's almost like if Jeff Fisher knew offense, right, the way he's <laughs> able to, like, beat Pete. Because, I mean, after after that first game when the Seahawks uh, won 16-10, to 10, in Los Angeles in October 2017, they've scored 28 points at least each time they've played the Seahawks. And in the two times they scored 29 and 28, they missed field goals. Well, I guess uh, last year they had one blocked. And then uh, the year before, actually, no, the last two, last, two, last two times they played the Seahawks, they either missed a field goal or had one blocked, i.e. they were in a position to put up 30 each time. If you can't stop the other team from scoring 30, you're going to lose. Right, that's that's just how it works. They've, like I said, they've won games by the skin of their teeth, but the Rams are probably the the worst team for the Seahawks to get into a shootout with because of who the coach is. Mike Dugard joining us. He covers the Seahawks for the Athletic. You can read his stuff at the Athletic, and you should. Uh, and when you talk, you already said like a shootout is not the way to go for this game for Seattle. What is the way to go for this in this game for the Seahawks? Um, so I think that, honestly the most stunning result from the Bills game, I wrote about this this morning as well, is that they had seven sacks and didn't get any turnovers against a quarterback like Josh Allen. That is really, I mean, nine times out of ten, if you hit him seven times like that, he is going to mess up. Right. Because right? that's just kind of how he how he gets down. I think Jared Goff is very similar in that way. If they were to get to Goff, they've gotten to Goff, I think, oh, man, I wish I had my story in front of me. I want to say they've gotten to him like seven times total um, since McVeigh has taken over, so that's seven times in six meetings. If they were to get to him seven times uh, on Sunday, I think I actually think they win because he for sure will do something stupid if you hit him seven times. Like I'm pretty sure of that. The problem is getting there because uh, they do a lot of play action, they move the pocket, they do a lot of bootlegs, they do a lot of like jet sweeps and pop passes and things that just make it so you can't just rush upfield, right? Because they'll do something uh, to get you going the wrong direction. But if that's that's the only way they're going to win this game. You got to turn golf over a lot. I'm talking like two, three, four t- turnovers that are backbreakers. The type that Russ was having against Buffalo. The type that set you guys up with a short field. The type that I mean, score on one of them if that's the case. But if this is just each team gets you know eight possessions and you're just going to have to score seven touchdowns on yours and hope they only score six on theirs, that's just not how this. That's not doesn't play in the Seahawks' favor because it's more likely than not that a team playing with a backup center against Aaron Donald, it's not going to score seven touchdowns on eight tries, right? But it's, it's likely that a team with Jared Goff uh, and Sean McVay against Pete Carroll will score, you know, at least six touchdowns. I want to ask you a question uh, sort of mechanistically uh, about Seattle's defense and what is it that they're trying to do? Because when we see teams that give up this many points, you go, well, you know, man, it's just a bad football team. But like you said, I mean, there's talent on the defensive side of the ball. Are they being ultra-aggressive 
and and you know giving it up on the back end because they're trying to create turnovers or trying to do stuff or are they just getting beat or is it a matter of because they haven't been able to get to the quarterback though they did on Sunday that's left them exposed like what is the thing that you're seeing in terms of the way they're going about it that are that leave these these gaps regularly now um, there's a couple of things. Oh, they're not, they're trying so many different things and nothing's sticking, right? Because mm. Pete Carroll would like, I, ideally he'd like to play cover three um, with a middle of the field safety, rush with four, get home, stop the run because you got eight in the box. Like that's ideal. Well, he realized he can't do that because we're not getting pressure with four, right? So you try these cover two and cover four looks um, and you just, your, your defense has all these holes in it. All right, well, cool. Then let's start blitzing and let's play man on the back end, right? They played like man defense like 60% of the time against Buffalo or something like that. And they got torched, right? Pete and Ken Norton are just throwing stuff at the wall and hoping it sticks and nothing's sticking. I think the problem against Buffalo specifically was they did that thing where they played a bunch of man on the back end. Problem is Quentin Dunbar had one leg. So Buffalo, being a competent football team, if nothing else, was like, well, 22 can't run, so they just threw everything at Quinton. Uh, they scored touchdowns his way, ran screenplays his way, put Stephon Diggs over there. Uh, like, it was just, it was a disaster. And so, like, and I thought that was unfair to Quinton. Like, of course, he's going to say, Coach, I want to play. But you guys out there with one leg, in the first half, they just picked on him for an entire drive going into half. Like, you have to, you know, help your guy out. At the very least, if you're going to leave him out there, give him a safety, right? They had players where they, they would they sent eight people on that third and 16 in, in the uh, third quarter or whatever it was, and they left Quentin to guard uh, the entire third of the field. Well, no, man, you guy with one leg can't do that. So they're trying a bunch of things, cover twos, cover fours, uh, blitzes, man, zones, and it's just, it's just not working. And they're learning something I figured out this past offseason when I dove into the nerdiness of football is you can't really scheme up an elite defense. You can't. You need elite players. And right now, uh, they're so banged up uh, everywhere that they really just can't even put a competent unit out there. As somebody that's primarily covered college football from a beat writer perspective like I have, I've seen this happen many times when you have one side of the ball that's excellent and the other side of the ball that's not. And oftentimes it just it brews this strange animosity or a lack of confidence in the other unit, and you see it from the players and the coaches. Where are you at with that element of it? I mean, are, are the offensive guys, are they resentful right now, the defensive guys? Is there any sort of um, intangible element of this, or, or, or is this just a, a problem that they knew that they probably were going to have this year, and that's why they decided to just let Russ cook? I don't think they thought they were going to have the problems on defense that they're having. Actually, I can guarantee you they didn't think they'd be like 28th in DVOA or whatever. Like, they're getting rolled. No one thought that. Um, this is like worst-case scenario. If I was in the locker rooms this year, it would be a little easier to gauge that. But knowing what I know about the guys on offense, none of them are good enough or consider themselves good enough to be thinking that way. That's just kind of how it is. I mean, Russell is. Like, Russell is the guy who would be like, look, man, I'm killing it. You guys stink. Right? But he's not that type of dude, right? He's... He's not, he's not at that level. And even then, the offense has messed up in ways in which, like, they've cost, you know, games too. Like, Russ got sacked five times, you know, this last game. That's on Russ. That's on the old line. Um, you know, Tyler Lockett, did he even play last week? Like, you know, like, that matters too. Like, who is someone like Tyler who had, like, two catches last week to, to go to the secondary and, like, what are you guys doing? And like, what are you doing? You know, there's no one's in a position to really do any finger pointing except maybe Brian Schottheimer. Right? Maybe he can go over to Ken's office, knock, knock. What are you guys doing? Like, we're scoring 34 a week, <laughs> and we're losing games. Like, what? They've literally scored 34 of their two losses. Like, 34 points, if you score that every week, you should win. They have, they have the highest scoring offense in the league. Like if, and the defense hasn't scored any touchdowns. Uh, so, yeah, if you're Brian Schottenheimer, you're the only one who can point fingers. You can walk into Ken Norton's office and say, dude, I have the best scoring offense in the league. All you have to do is not stink. That's it. And unfortunately, they're giving up, you know, a gazillion yards and a bunch of points every week. Well, Mike, it's it's a week probably to kill the Seahawks because they lost. They lost big to you know it in and it was in a way that has been brewing this entire season and then was fully exposed on Sunday so I get that at the end of the day though see extra six and two they're still on top of the NFC West they have you know a big divisional matchup against the Rams they usually play very tough games against divisional opponents well you think about this game Sunday 
this will be the first time this year I pick against the Seahawks. Um, I just, I'm really, I'm, it's not much, so much as I'm picking against the Seahawks is that I'm picking Sean McVay. Mm. Like, I, the, the numbers just don't lie. They haven't figured this dude out. And it's, it's not just that he has talent. Like, Jared Goff is a very beatable quarterback. I've seen Jared Goff on TV, I will see, look terrible. Look like one of the worst players in the league. No right? Even that year in 2018 when he was good, the Bears made him look trash. Brian Flores has made him look trash twice. It's doable. It's not like he's Mahomes, right, and it's really hard to make him look pedestrian. No, Jared Goff is pedestrian. He's just not against y'all. And until I see him uh, look pedestrian, then I'm going to – it goes back to the benefit of the doubt, how he opened the show. Pete doesn't deserve it against this guy. He just doesn't. He only beat him in 2019 because missed, they missed a field goal, right? That was it. It's not like he schemed up a great thing. They scored 29 points, right? So I can't give Pete the benefit of the doubt. He's got to show me. So I'll take the – I'm taking the Rams. I think I wrote this morning like 38 – um, to 27, I got them scoring a little bit below their average because they don't have uh, Ethan Posick. He's out. And what's the other thing? Oh, all their corners are out. Shaquille Griffin's not going to play, and Quentin Dunbar is uh, not going to play. So I don't know who the hell is going to start uh, at corner. That's a bad combination. Mike, as always, my man, we appreciate it. We appreciate the insight. He's Mike Dugar. He covers the Seahawks for The Athletic. He uh, uh, hosts the Seahawks Man-to-Man podcast as well. Read him, listen to him, and uh, he joins us here each and every Friday. Mike, always appreciate you. Thank you guys for having me. Mike Dugar, The Athletic. 12 for the 12s. Brought to us by who else? Dobie's Teriyaki, buddy. I mean, you want to talk Seattle, talk to me about some teriyaki, which, you know, for what it's worth, is in my belly right now. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much for a little bit of lunch down at Dobie's uh, today. And Coulter, we want somebody else to have a little bit of lunch today from Dobie's, so let's hook the people up. 361-3688. 361-3688. Give us a call. Second caller is going to get 25 bucks. Adobe's teriyaki. That's going to get you at least two, maybe even two and a half, three meals if you play it right. Mm. And they're big. They're good. I want you to get the steak with onions. That's what you need to get. It's the best thing that they got going on down there. Get the large. Get it spicy. It's all the mm. best. Delish. 361-3688. Number two caller is going to get $25 gift card. Adobe's teriyaki. Adobe's teriyaki. Best Seattle style teriyaki you'll find anywhere besides Seattle. Grizz greats. The 25th anniversary of the 1995 National Champions, episode 12, coming out tonight with Mike Boucher. You'll hear a portion of that conversation right after this. Coulter, obviously, if people are traveling, you got to have them stay somewhere else, not with you. That's true even when COVID isn't going on, and especially now. So you send them out to the Wingate. We know that. That's obvious. What you might not know is about all the meeting space they have out there, convention space, and even personal office space, because God knows I can't stand being with you any much longer. I'm going out there. I'm going to lock up my own personal office at the Wingate. You can do the same thing. If you need a business space, whether it's for yourself personally or or you're just tired of doing Zoom meetings, you just want to see other humans, but you want to be socially distanced, the Wingate has great business meeting rooms. You can space out. They have all the hookups and technology you're going to need for any sort of meeting or presentation. Or if you're like Ryan, you just want to have a place where you can work in peace and quiet, the Wingate Inn also a great option for those that live and work around Western Montana and the city of Missoula. If you have anybody coming through town or you want to get your kids out of the house, Wingate also has awesome rooms, great business rates. The pool is back open. They've done a great job of making sure that's be safe for you and your family. The Wingate Inn, located in Missoula, it's an excellent option for business travelers, local business people, or anybody coming through the city of Missoula. Let the Wingate Inn make you feel at home even when you're not. We better get a doggone cure for this thing because June at the Tacoma Dome I got a meeting. Oh, man. Get a vaccine going, people. It's 2 Telling Nuanas, 1029 ESPN Radio. SWX Montana Television across the state. Outstanding to be with you on this very fine Friday. We hope that you are well. And uh, it is time now to uh, dive into, you know, we've been releasing our Grizz Greats Silver Anniversary of the 1995 National Champions Series. And the latest installment comes out right after we're done here with Mike Boucher. You're going to hear a portion of that conversation here in just a moment. Mike Boucher, uh, the leading tackler 
on that 95 national championship team, an inside linebacker, a graduate of Missoula Hellgate, great football player, and a just lovely conversation. I mean, if you want to have some fun, listen to this talk that we had uh, with uh, with Mike Boucher because it was an absolute blast. But Silver Anniversary of the 1995 National Champions, the Grizz Greats podcast series, it is brought to us by First Security Bank and by Blackfoot Communications. And guess what? Back in 1995, a simpler time. Nobody. But Blackfoot was still very much on the cutting edge of all things technological. And there's a good chance when you called your friends, family, and colleagues on the other side of town, you were using phone service from Blackfoot Communications. And guess what? 25 years later, not so simple. But Blackfoot is still keeping our homes and businesses connected with state-of-the-art voice and internet services. Blackfoot takes great pride in celebrating the indelible mark left by Montana's run to its first national championship in 1995. Blackfoot is excited to sponsor Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 national champions, and Blackfoot always a proud supporter of Grizzly Athletics. Coulter, 30 seconds. Tell the people about Mike Boucher. Mike Boucher, Missoula Hellgate product. His dad, Bill, like you mentioned, uh, was with First Security Bank. We've been telling you about that for a long time. He's the president of First Security Bank here in Missoula for quite some time, but he also himself is a former Grizz. So Mike Boucher, a second-generation Grizzly. And uh, Boucher, he worked his way up the linebacker depth chart. That was a spot that actually was a big question mark heading into the 1995 season because he graduated some great players. They graduated basically their whole linebacker unit. And uh, But guys like Mike Boucher, Jason Crebo, they rose up and became instant stars. And Boucher is the leading tackler on that 1995 team, an all-big sky selection. And uh, the pride of Missoula, somebody that was a connector on that team. He brought everybody together, the offensive line, the defensive line, the receivers. Everybody's hanging out because Mike Boucher is kind of like the central right. figure. And that's often what happens when you have a hometown guy. But I think he really relished that. And what a memory. I mean, he, he told some outstanding stories on this podcast, so I hope everybody gives it a listen. Well, you're going to get some outstanding stories right now. Enjoy Grizz Greats with Mike Boucher. Pretty intimidating Marshall team. So when you first start in that game, was there a moment where you, you, you noticed the tone getting set or that you guys sort of announced your presence like, hey, we might be on your home field, but we can hang in this game? Yeah, absolutely. And and we were super pissed off at Marshall from the night before. We'd actually had a team banquet where mm-hmm. they brought the two teams together. And somebody had this great idea to do karaoke. Well, we went there to play football. There was not a Montana guy that was going to do karaoke. And so then the Marshall team gets up and they do karaoke to uh, celebrate. Uh, celebrate good times. Come on. We're like... Wait a minute. You guys think you've already won this game. Like we were sitting there and they're looking at us and taunting us that they're already celebrating. They were certain they had that game in the bag. So we went in that morning. We were super pissed off from the festivities the night before. And uh, they were an incredibly talented team looking at that offense. They had a NFL center. Uh, they had an NFL quarterback. They had two NFL running backs. They had an NFL tackle. Their other tackle was 6'6", 380 pounds. This was an absolutely loaded offense, um, even though they weren't nearly as good as they were the next year. Um, But we we knew right away that we could hang with those guys. And there were some plays early, like Blaine McElmurray just lighting that guy up Mm -hmm. that really helped set the tone, that we were not going to be intimidated uh, their narrative that they had already won the game was not our narrative, and we were there to to establish our own narrative. This game uh, has a number of memories in it. The hit would be the first, chronologically speaking. Uh, the safety would be another one. But then, obviously, the game, as it came down to it, sort of turned on the offense and with the drive in the fourth quarter and the kick that, that, that was the game-deciding points. That said... This is a low-scoring defensive battle in general, especially by Montana standards in that year. Did you did you feel the onus on your side of the ball in that game where you've been playing with this offense, just lighting it up for the entire year, and now all of a sudden, oh, man, we're the ones who are going to have to hold here in order to give, give our team a chance to win? Absolutely. Absolutely. That that Marshall defense, as good as they were on offense, they might have been just as good or better on Loaded. Defense. I mean, rewatching this game, yeah. the, the physical the physicality of the team and, and just the size and speed combo, especially that front seven, was 
Yeah, I mean, it's still remarkable to watch 25 years later. Yeah, they, they had a few NFL guys on that on that D-line and linebacker unit. And uh, so they we knew that our offense was in for a long day. Dickey was under constant pressure. The offense was out of sync. Uh, they were really having a hard time moving the ball and scoring. Uh, fortunately, we were having success on defense. And we knew that as a defense, we were going to have to hold the line until our offense could sort of get up to speed with their defense and get into a rhythm. Uh, We always felt confident that our offense could do it, but we knew as a defense it was going to be more incumbent upon us to win that game than probably the others in the playoffs, that we were going to have to hold it down. And we came in at halftime. I remember we come in as linebackers, and we're sitting there with KV, and the realization hit us, like, it's 10-3, we're beating these guys, we can beat these guys. We don't have to play our best game. We just have to play mistake-free football in the second half, and, and we will win. So we were very confident at halftime that this was a winnable game, that we were going to come out on top, but we knew we had to hold the line on the defense. Is there a uh, – there's a lot of plays that peep everybody remembers and, and thinks about, but is there a play for you that you were a part of, that you were involved in, that, that stood out to you, where you're like, oh, wow, okay, that's like a memory I'm taking with me personally from this game uh two plays stand out to me one good one bad um the good one was there was a rollout chad pennington was rolling out and uh i came up and johansa and i hit him at the same time and just absolutely depleted chad and and chad's actually a good dude like we had a good time like interacting with chad that game, like throughout the game, yeah. he was just a nice guy. Um, <laughs> and even the following year when he was redshirting, he like hunted us down on the sideline. He's like, Hey Mike, good to see you. Glad you're, you know, like, so he was a good guy, but so like lighting up Chad Pennington was, was a highlight. And actually there's a picture of that play that was in the, on the front page of the Huntington, West Virginia newspaper the next day. So I have a picture of it on my wall, but so that was a good play. Um, on the negative side, I, I still kick myself for this, but there was a fumble maybe in the second quarter, and I jump on the ball, and somehow within the, the scrum, Chris Parker, their running back, grabs the ball and took it from me. I could not believe it. I don't, to this day, I don't know how he got the football from me. I felt like I was pretty proud and how strong I was, but he wrestled that ball away from me, <laughs> and that just tortured me the rest of that game. I'm like, oh, no, is that the play that's going to make the difference in the game? <laughs> And it still tortures me. I watch that game. I'm like, no. <laughs> so I think about the good ones and the bad ones. How about the safety when the two Butte boys converge on Pennington and score you two points? Oh, my gosh. That, that was so awesome because not only was that the difference in the game, uh, and it was the defense that was making the difference in the game with such a huge play, but Brian Toon and Randy Riley – were my roommates. They'd been my roommates since freshman year. We we lived together. So to have my roommates and my best friends make the play that I think turns the tide and wins the national championship for us was that was incredible. I still just about speechless thinking about it. We talked to both of those guys, but I was teasing Brian too earlier saying you guys should just rent out a bar in Butte and just tell that story to whoever wants to show up because there's probably no town in the world that's more proud that the two Butte guys got the safety in the national championship game, right? No, that that's pretty awesome. And those guys will go down as as Butte legends. And it's, it's pretty funny, like, uh, that we were roommates and I, they're still best friends to this day. And I think the world of them, but uh, a pretty funny side story to that was, freshman year we all move in together and at one point Dave Kempfert and I we relay the story about how we were over and viewed our senior years for the state basketball tournament and we remembered running into a group of Butte guys at a gas station and they were like well that's terrifying right to start, to start yeah. with so right there you know you're in a bad situation and and they're like hey you guys are from Hellgate you guys should we're having a big Kager up in the hills, you guys should come with us. It's awesome. And Dave and I kind of huddled and we're like, mm, something ain't right here. Uh, let's say no. So yeah. we said no. <laughs> Didn't think anything of it. And then 
you know, next year later, we're roommates with these guys, and they're like, oh, yeah, we totally remember that night. We tried to get you and Kemford out to the hills. We were just going to beat the crap out of you guys. <laughs> it's like, ah, you butte guys. <laughs> so, it, just for fun, cruising for around, fun. trying to get somebody, yeah. so trying to throw a couple blows. Yep, yep. So, <laughs> the fact that it was the two guys from Butte, America, that really sealed a national title for Montana, I think, was as fitting as could possibly be. In Coulter's ideal world. My sort of fun. High school kids just roll around and just fight for fun. That's it. Just just no, no animosity. This is just what we do. Wait, what do you mean? That's not like a uh, unusual thing. Well... That used to be how it was all over Montana. Right, a lot of things are how they used to be. Right, I said that's your yeah. ideal world. Okay. Uh, things were good. Mike Boucher, what a fun guy to talk to. Great stories. And again, we will have the full episode up for you here uh, after the show. Uh, you can search uh, Grizz Greats anywhere you get your podcast: Apple, uh, Google, Spotify, Transistor, whatever it is. You can go listen uh, to uh, Grizz Greats and continue to enjoy this podcast series, which has been an absolute ton of fun. Again, Grizz Greats, silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions is brought to us by Blackfoot Communications and also by First Security Bank, who has a very close tie to Mike Boucher, who we just heard from. Yeah, I mean, you heard this story several times because of First Security Bank's generous sponsorship of this podcast series. But Mike Boucher's father, Bill Boucher, a former Grizz, he was the president of First Security Bank back in the early 1990s, and he spearheaded a group of businessmen in Missoula that helped the Grizz first put forth the bid when they first started perennially making the playoffs. They had yeah. that nice run in 1989, but then in 93 when Dave Dickinson and the, the group was a, were sophomores, they qualified and it looked like they could make a run. And so Bill Boucher at First Security Bank and a bunch of other local business owners got together to guarantee the bid for the University of Montana Athletic Department. And that then paid dividends for years to come as Montana made the playoffs for almost two decades straight after that. But two years after that first bid, University of Montana turned that local optimism into national prominence when these Grizz won the Division I AA National Championship. And 25 years later, First Security Bank, still a proud sponsor of Grizz Athletics as well as a proud sponsor of Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions, a 25-part podcast series remembering that epic season. First Security Bank of Missoula, proud supporter of Grizz Athletics and a proud supporter of the University of Montana. Hour number one in the books, hour two straight ahead. Garden City Spotlight. Dane Oliver joining us, head coach of the Sentinel Spartans. Sentinel hosting Billing Sr. in a state semifinal tonight, just two hours away from kickoff. We'll hear from the head man of the Spartans next. Get commencement ready at the Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Their grad fair sale is going on right now if you visit msubookstore.org. Free regalia when you purchase a diploma frame at the MSU Bookstore. You can obviously visit the MSU Bookstore on the Montana State campus. The Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Visit on campus or at msubookstore.org. 